Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What. Today we've got Martin Adams on and he's a founder and advisor. Hi Martin. Hello. How are we? Very good. Very good. Yep. I'm delighted to be here and chatting to you both. And uh, yeah, very good. Thank you. Pleasure to have you on. Uh, Martin, should we jump straight in? Do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a, I'm a founder um, of, a, of a machine learning business uh, called Codec.ai. We are a business that basically sort of our, our lofty mission is to organize the world's interests and map popular culture so that brands and publishers and anyone looking to connect with an audience is able to, to understand what they care about outside of the kind of brand or product area that the, that the brand maybe exists in. So they kind of really understand people's interests and passions and they can make more interesting marketing uh, content as a result and products as a result. Um, my kind of background has been quite mixed though. I've um, kind of come across, uh, I've been involved in sort of social data entrepreneurship for a long, long time. Uh, I've been an intellectual property lawyer and I've worked with a bunch of different kind of startups and early stage businesses to help them go to market and um, be successful. Wow. So AI, I mean, that's um, quite a hot topic at the moment. And, and combining AI with marketing, how did that sort of come about for you? Yeah, it's um, it's not the most obvious combo. There's, um, you know, marketing can be uh, appropriately quite a human kind of relatively kind of touchy-feely space um you know it's about motivating people and hitting people emotionally and things like that and ai is often much often reserved for much kind of cruder um formulaic logarithmic kind of tasks and so bringing those together is definitely uh you know it's definitely an interesting thing and kind of left and right brain really that you're bringing together um my i guess it really comes from my, my background is um, understanding the the power of machine learning, um, understanding that if you want to get a, a picture of popular culture at scale, um, you really need to be working with huge data, you know, really, really big levels of data. And if you want to get it at that global scale, you can't have humans looking at that data and trying to interpret it and understand it. You need to you need to be working on a on a, on a far bigger um, level, and so that was really the kind of the emphasis on on using technology and, and and intellectual property and machine learning to to solve the problem. And in terms of actually identifying the problem, um, I've been involved in very non technology driven businesses, you know, more kind of traditional social media and marketing agencies, which had no IP and no no technology at all. Um, and I had seen the gap that that left, and so it became fairly obvious that although it would be difficult putting the two pieces uh together was was necessary and would create you know big big influence and big impact for clients in the space mm -hmm. so let's go way back for a moment to where your kind of career journey starts so did you go to university for example if so what did you study yeah i went to university um i uh took a year before i went to university um and traveled around the world i did I once I was at university, I forged myself onto a, a forged is a strong word, but I forced myself, that's probably a better word. Um, uh, I yeah, forced myself onto a course with an extra year, um, you know, uh, so it became a four year course. And then after university, I took some time as well. So I did go to university, I studied law, um, but I took a very liberal approach. Um, to it and you know really extended it as much as possible for me going to university was really a, a continued time to discover and question what I wanted to do I didn't arrive there 
with a really clear kind of vocational path like you know I'm gonna I'm doing law and I'm gonna be a lawyer I really wanted to use it as a time to be with other bright people um and to you know to, if I'm being totally candid you know university and a kind of relatively inadvertent commas prestigious degree like law was a permission slip for me to do that inquiry and to get everyone else off my back family friends <laughs> society um while i while i went through those you know inquiries um and so i you know i would definitely say uh whether you go to university or don't you know taking the time to really work out what you want to do is has made all the difference for me that's really interesting because we've we've had a lot of founders and, and sort of ceos on now um on the podcast and we've had a real sort of mixed bag and opinion on university nowadays uh, we've had quite a few actually say that um necessarily you don't need to go to university now you can go and maybe work at some startups get some experience that way and use that as your sort of ladder in and, and figure out what you want to do into the world of work what's your take on that do you, i mean it sounds like you really value your time at uni I valued my time at uni, but I didn't approach it like most people um, did. So if so, I would say, I mean, it's worth saying that as a person who has hired you know, hundreds of people over my career, I do not, you know, I, I do not um, stigmatize someone who went to university and I don't stigmatize someone who doesn't. Um, I'm more curious to know what they did with that time. And if they use their university experience creatively and they went outside of the, the brief of just, you know, studying their core subject. If they, if they joined lots of societies that clearly gave them, that proved some sort of intellectual curiosity, if they genuinely discovered some interesting things and they can explain them in an interview, um, fantastic. But equally, if they got that experience through, you know, trying to start something themselves or joining an early stage business, then, you know, it, it proves the exact same point. And it's the point that I would be trying to understand in an interview. So um, I don't have like a... a um, you know, people like Peter Thiel and stuff are really trying to reinvent the whole university experience. And I, and I kind of feel ultimately that they're against the traditional system. I, I had a wonderful time at university. I went on after taking a few years afterwards, I went on and did a master's in the States um, where I met, you know, my business partner and I met my wife and I had a fantastic time. So I think, you know, I think it can be a bit overly simplistic or black and white to say like, do university or don't do university i think it's how you do it um or how you spend the time if you don't do it that's that's the most important sure so take us on a whirlwind tour of your um career after going and getting your masters um and what you're doing today yeah so i um i i'd been a lawyer as i said and one of the businesses i was involved in was a um was a marketing agency. And, and as I said, I realized that really there was a, a lack of, to get really valuable returns in that business, to get something special, I needed to understand intellectual property. And it wasn't an area that I understood. Um, so I, I was very lucky to have a place at Harvard Law School. Um, I'm an Essex boy. My parents didn't go to university. You know, that was quite a, um, that was quite a privilege to have that position. Um, but what I did was I kind of used that, that time doing that master's as a, as an opportunity to really turn towards intellectual property. And when I was there, I, I worked with a, with a professor kind of on, on top of my studies. I worked with a professor in a really high profile lawsuit that was kind of testing the, testing kind of the, the frontiers of intellectual property in the internet age. Um, and it was around the hope poster from, uh, you know, that was used in the Obama campaign at the time. Mm -hmm. And basically the Associated Press, um, 
brought this big, aggressive, um, very old school lawsuit uh, against against the artist who had gone on Google Images and taken a photo of Obama from you know, one of a billion photos from press conferences and then transformed it radically into this quite important politically, you know, political piece of art. And so I kind of got really exposure to, to IP and we were working against a big bad law firm working for the Associated Press and we settled the case and the the big bad law firm, I, I hate to say, kind of made me an offer I couldn't refuse to join them <laughs> um, in uh, in in New York. So I so the the Essex boy kind of headed to New York and uh, did that for a few years, working with big firms who had big IP portfolios like Samsung and Apple and Facebook, and doing a lot of private equity work. And um, it was fascinating, but ultimately I, I didn't want to be a lawyer. That was not my not my plan at all. It, it just wasn't really intellectually curious enough for me. Um, so I came back to the UK. I went to a business called Songkick, um, which is around uh, the live music space. And we had a really ambitious goal there, which was to change using sort of the sort of social data that I had been working with before when I was working in the marketing agencies and working with influencers. We wanted to change the way that live music was taught. And rather than it being a kind of white to male music agent who would decide from their ivory tower which cities a band should go and play, we could actually use data and we could kind of route live music based on where the real pockets of demand were. It was fascinating. We got we got bands that would reform because they suddenly had the data to prove that they were huge in Adelaide, Australia or wow you know, Swansea in Wales and so cool. America. <laughs> yeah, it was very funky. So again, a kind of a, a use very much like Kodak, a kind of use of um, machine learning and big data in a very human cultural um, field. So yeah, I did that. And then um, I kind of saw how successful that could be. That business was acquired by Warner Music. And then I, I started Kodak um, with, with a friend from Harvard which, which again is, you know, really bringing together that that left and right right brain, and been doing that, and then getting involved, you know, hero's journey style. You go through a lot of pain and suffering and learning, and you know, late nights and challenges and whatever from running your own businesses, and um, kind of more recently have really tried to bring that experience out as an advisor to other businesses, and very interested in sort of the web three and synthetic media space as well. Get getting getting very involved in that. So let's talk about Codec itself. And, you know, you mentioned over your time, you've employed loads and loads of different people, but what kind of things, what kind of roles are there at Codec? You know, what are people actually doing to like further this, uh, this business? Yeah, we're, we're an interesting organization because of the, because of what we talked about that left and right brain. So we have everything from PhD data engineers, machine learning experts, you know, some of the brightest people you'll ever meet. Um, on that kind of numerical mathematical side all the way through to um, people who have to be excellent at understanding the needs and wants of a of a client you know um, so you know we, we, we're put together as a very technology heavy business with with you know with analysts with data scientists with those machine learning experts with we actually build uh, software as well as part of what we sell to our clients so we have you know, we actually have um, developers and designers, and then we'll have, you know, account management functions because we, you know, we sell our services, we license our services to big brands, people like L'Oreal or Estee Lauder or Diageo, people like that, Pepsi. And so there's an account management function which sits around that technology. Then, of course, we have a kind of strategy and sales team 
We have teams uh, involved in, in generating the leads, so lead generation teams, and then an operations and finance team to just, you know, make sure that while we're doing all this good work, we're, um, we're making some money along the way. So when you're hiring people, you know, obviously you're hiring across a huge breadth of different, different things, but out of all of that, what is a few qualities that you really look for in people when you're hiring? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for a growth mindset. Um, I'm looking for genuine kind of curiosity. Um, I'm not expecting someone to come in with deep experience selling something similar to what we sell. Um, ultimately, the that decision is sort of made for you when you are doing anything innovative is that there is not going to be a large field of people with deep experience in it. And I think that's a good thing because I actually think it's one of the mistakes that people make when they're hiring. And I actually think it's one of the mistakes that people make when they're interviewing is to try and basically just win this kind of, I'm a credible candidate because I've done this before. I think that the, I, I'm looking for, um, I'm looking for curiosity. I'm looking to uh, see that through the interview process, they are trying to get to the kind of ground root principles of why the business exists, of the benefits that we bring to customers, of the change that we're trying to, you know, represent and make in, in the industry. If they can get to those things, they're much more likely to be able to self-manage, um, to manage other people coming in after them in the future um, and to, yeah, to be able to improvise when the inevitable, you know, when the inevitable moments come where they have to make a decision and there's, you know, there's, I'm not in the room or there's no, you know, the CEO's not in the room or whoever. So I think um, I'm always looking for that to get to first principles, a root understanding of why. Some of those characteristics, characteristics are quite um, interesting and are quite hard to um, convey in some ways. Well, where do you usually like pick up if someone's got those potential abilities? Do you actually see it initially on their CV or are you more, uh, do you more see those come across in the interview stage? Yeah, I, I do. I, I'm not a big CV fan um, in the sense that I am more likely to move to, so, so to answer your question really directly, it's the interview stage. And I try and run um, interviews quite, quite informally um, so that there's less role playing. Uh, there's less kind of, I want it to be, I want to give the opportunity for the person who's being interviewed to dictate some of the direction of our conversation and to ask questions early on. Um, you know, it's not a case of just reserving five minutes at the end to say, and do you have any questions? It's genuinely, is this person asking the right questions? Do they want to know these? I mean, really, I'm being interviewed if I'm in, you know, in, in an interview context, because they should be trying to unearth whether the why, those whys that I just mentioned are credible, real, believable, backable. Um, and that's, you know, only when they're comfortable that all those things are true, should they want to join my, you know, my business. So. I, um, I I create a lot of space, basically. And then just to say in terms of the kind of getting to interview, um, I, you know, yes, of course, looking at a CV can help ultimately remove people who just aren't relevant and don't, it doesn't make sense to move to that next stage. But, you know, I've really been impressed by candidates who kind of deploy a little bit more hustle and reach out to me in more interesting ways, whether it's a cheeky message on LinkedIn or 
or, or whatever else it might be through network or trying to get someone that they know, you know, that we mutually know to put in a good word. All of those things for me are uh, suggest are more kind of indicative of you deserving to get to the next stage than just firing over a CV. Martin, that is music to our ears. We are constantly banging on about how dead the CV is and how using things like LinkedIn to build your like professional portfolio, reaching out to people is just so crucial now, right? It's the difference between somebody getting that interview stage and just being another CV. I couldn't agree more. And for you, what's probably been the biggest positive you've taken out? of this whole journey of this kind of entrepreneurial journey, you know, what's the one thing you've taken from it? Thought, you know, I, I'm so pleased I've gone on this journey. Uh, I think there's a huge amount of meaning that comes. So, so, you know, the Buddha, the Buddha said that life is suffering, right. And you ultimately can't uh, really avoid that. You, you can, you think that you can, you get the best degree you can, you get the best job you can you get the best, partner or whatever else you know um that you can but ultimately you can't um you can't avoid the fact that that you will be you will suffer whether that's disappointment or overwork whatever it might be now i think that when you run your own ship um or you're involved in you know an early stage business which makes you basically a co-entrepreneur like a co-owner in some sense i don't mean co-founder i mean i mean really if you're in that first year of a startup's kind of existence, then you are, um, you know, I put you in the same type of, you've taken the same types of risk, ultimately, then I think that you, I think that that suffering basically makes more sense, you can share it with other people, you go through, uh, you you have insights, you have knowledge, they're hard earned, they're credible and respectable, because you really went through them, you didn't just read them in a book, you didn't just observe them or listen about them in an in an MBA classroom you know you really actually went out and earned them and you've got the scars to show it so I think for me entrepreneurship has been uh, is really be, it's, it's, it's about meaning and the insight that you can you can share uh, as a result of having embarked upon it you're obviously uh, quite an intelligent person having gone to Harvard to get a master's in law and things like that being able to go into this world of marketing and uh technology how hard is it for you to not get too deep into everything and want to um try and learn everything and we'll take that step back and no no, i need to try and manage this and not run away with myself yeah i I think you need to know what you're good at um and 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 you know the the beginning stages of a of of one entrepreneurship whether it's a small business or 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 it has ambitions to be larger you will inevitably be touching everything you'll be involved in everything and that's fine and healthy but but quite quickly you realize you know are you the operational um founder slash ceo are you the visionary um are you good at talking to investors or are you better at talking to clients you kind of need to ask yourself these really basic fundamental questions and once you um once you know that it's kind of you know, know know thyself and once you know where you're good and where you're only average you just focus on ultimately where you're really good and you just hire really ambitiously and really aggressively in the other areas and no one who is any good is going to join you and stay with you if you don't give them plenty of rope and you know uh, defer to the fact that they are world-class in their area um even if they have even if they need to grow to be world-class like that you know that that's that's almost part of the contract of employment is like we'll give you this opportunity and i'll give you the space to do it so 
I think it's just um, it's respecting yourself and what you're good at and not so good at, and it's respecting other people. I think that that's what it comes down to. If you could narrow it down to say maybe two or three personality traits that you see within yourself that you think have really helped you to succeed down this path, what would they be? Um, I've talked about it a bit, but I definitely think curiosity. Um, you know, you can. I think good entrepreneurs can often attack. Um, very strange and new uh, areas and problems, even if they don't have a lot of experience in them because their curiosity kind of animates this desire to learn very, very quickly and build a network who can help you very, very quickly. So I think curiosity is absolutely key. Um, it's, you know, we're in, we're in cliche territory here, but it's, it's, it's for a reason. Resilience, you know, you have to be able to, you have to be able to suffer um, and not long term because there's no need in you know there's no value in suffering long term uh but you have to be able to endure really hard moments uh there's there's the physical moments almost of late nights and weekends um there's the the resilience to sort of say no to you know to to other opportunities uh in the course of building something entrepreneurially you will get you know you're likely to be paying yourself and others sub market rates and you will get offers for much more than market rates and the resilience to psychologically sort of say no to that um, is, is really, really important. I think it's made a huge difference um, for me. And then, you know, I don't know exactly how to articulate this, but the, the joy of building something with others, uh, kind of an aspect almost of like a kind of community mindedness, I think is really, really key. Very, very, very much underspoken uh, about in the entrepreneurship kind of porn that exists that's all about the cult of the individual is you know is the fact that in reality very few things of value or that are valuable in terms of money are built by visionary individuals actually it's much more often uh, people who collaborate together and have that mindset and i think for me that's that's made a difference but it's also made it more joyful along the way you sort of touched on um some of them there but what would be some of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome um going through your journey so far i think one of the challenges is i haven't read this book but um yesterday a book popped up on my amazon recommendations which was the courage to be disliked um i don't i wouldn't say that i um uh, would, would cultivate that as a particular skill in anyone but <laughs> i i do um the courage to be not fully understood um the courage to not uh the courage to not um really have every you know it's I, I went from being something that everyone understands and that you know my parents and friends and family and society really understood which was a very nicely paid new york lawyer um to entering into a field that was you know by definition very innovative and hadn't and, and building a technology that hadn't been built before and solving a problem that was unsolved and that it doesn't translate so well at a dinner party or down the pub or you know your, your parents can't really explain to their friends what that means and so for years you are in this kind of uh, existential identity wilderness where you really you just have to accept that okay well that doesn't matter to me um, i'm just gonna i believe what i'm doing and so and i believe i'm doing it with the right people so i'm gonna crack on so i think one of those yeah that, that, that's a challenge but one that is um once you overcome it i think probably serves you well in your in your broader life uh, not to be too concerned about others opinions basically that's probably the, the primary one i would focus on 
And uh, would you do it all again, uh, knowing everything you know now? Yeah, I, I would do it all again. Um, you know, I, I get, I'm very proud of the decisions that I've made because they were not the easier, you know, they weren't the obvious decisions. Um, I would, you know, you can, I, I do, I do believe there is a lot of that kind of startup porn out there and there's a lot of myths about this, you know, who's successful in startup world and entrepreneurship more generally. And so I would, um, you know, I, I would, I would, I would, I don't freely recommend to every single individual in the world that they should go off on this journey. But if they're animated by the right things that, you know, we've talked about here today, that curiosity, if they believe that they have that resilience, if they can, if they, if they have the mindset to work with others genuinely, and they'll take joy from that and they can share the fruits of their success with others. And um, if they can withstand, you know, if they can withstand that kind of what the hell is he or she actually doing with their time? Shouldn't they be doing something else? Then I think the rewards are huge. You know, you, it's, it's freedom. Like you are, I don't mean freedom in terms of loads of time um, because you will work, you know, you work like a dog um, as an entrepreneur, but it's freedom in the sense that you are working on things that you, that are, that are by definition important to you and the people around you. And it's creative. You're expressing your ideas. There's very little bureaucracy, very little politics. Um, it's pure. And I think that that is a great way to live. Well, Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you so much. Martin, thanks so much. Uh, where can people find you, maybe see your company and uh, reach out if they had any questions? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn at Martin uh, D. Adams. I'm on Twitter at Martin underscore D. Adams. Um, and you can see me, uh, I've got a website at martindadams.com and Codec is www.codec.ai. Brilliant. Thanks, Martin. Thank you.